I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Split Opinion with Flora Gill and Amber Rudd. Flora, I think you'll find it's Amber Rudd first and shouldn't you tell people who we are? Okay, uh, with journalist Flora Gill and failed politician Amber Rudd. (laughs) Or more like the Right Honourable Amber Rudd and her nobody daughter. Okay, wow, taking that to therapy. Each week we'll be discussing topics that split opinion and we'll be trying to convince each other to change their mind. That's right, because here at Split Opinion we think changing your mind should be celebrated. Too often today, people refuse to listen to the other side and have become very dogmatic in their positions. That's something I learned a lot about in the past few years in politics. So we'll be looking at items that have changed our mindset in the last week before picking a subject to delve into. Sometimes they'll be serious, like drug legalisation and prostitution. Other times they'll be less so, like telly and thongs. But we won't be doing it alone. We'll be joined by a guest, an expert, who can help each of us win our particular case. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Split Opinion. Today's main topic will be discussing housing and the housing crisis. We'll be joined by Gavin Barwell, the former housing minister, Polly Neat, the chief executive of Shelter, and George Clark, the architect and presenter. But before then, we'll be talking about our mini topics. So, Mum, why don't you tell me what you've changed your mind on this week? Well, in all the furore and interest around Boris and Carrie's camping holiday, Mm -hmm. there were some pictures of him and her, and one of them was of him carrying their baby, Wilfred, I think he's called, in a papoose, which I always think is rather charming. And Piers Morgan did his thing of jumping in and telling Boris that he was, I can't remember the word he used, but it was sort of something... Unmanly or something. Unmanly, cast aspersions on his manhood. I mean, really, it's Boris. uh, By (laughs) wearing a papoose, which I just think is absolutely ridiculous. He's done that before. He's done that before. He did it before to Daniel Craig. I mean, really, to do it to James Bond. And, you know, actually, I'm one of the very few Tories who actually got on quite well with Piers Morgan. I once interviewed him for charity, and my opening line was, why are you so rude? To which he responded, because you always lie. Can't argue. I have to say, I thought we had a quite a good relationship, but you know, he's lost me, Flora. He's lost, lost me. Lost you on the papoose. He's lost me on the papoose by attacking a man for wearing a papoose, which is code for attacking a man for looking after his baby in the most careful and caring way. So, yeah, I know it's a big negative for Piers from me. Now, Flora, moving on, what is your uh, change your mind point this week? I have realised that uh, I was just an incredibly easy daughter for you while you were a politician, is basically what I've realised. I. I just was perfect is kind of my realization um mum's face does not look like she's in wholehearted agreement i'm waiting to see where this is going but what i'm saying is that i caused i might i might have made the papers a few times since you left uh your cabinet position but you may note that i stayed well away from any drama or any uh illegal activity or any viral tweets while you were in cabinet i think that's true i think that's probably true i was quite cautious and quite careful yeah um i you know 
took her advice and only did coke in the bathrooms. Ah! <laughs> no. Please don't make jokes about that. It's not funny. <laughs> okay. But the point is, is that I was looking this week at um, Claudia Conway. Do you know who that is? Uh, you're going to tell me? She's Kellyanne... Kellyanne Conway's daughter. Okay, so she is the Prime Minister's... Sorry, she's the President's spokeswoman. Blonde lady who stands up and gives and his... And tells a lot of lies. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and Claudia Conway is her daughter. And she has, uh, appropriate for last week's topic, a TikTok account which has gone viral and is huge and is just incredibly successful where she basically talks about how awful her parents are Ooh. and how awful Trump is and how... Uh, it's just very, very negative towards them. I'm feeling a tiny scintilla of concern now for this, for her mother. It must be horrible for her. Really? For Kellyanne Conway? Well, I mean, I'm not making a judgment so on limited. Kellyanne Conway, but I am making a judgment on how uh, mothers love their daughters and don't want that sort of opprobrium from them. Yeah, and it's interesting because she uh, tweeted about how she was going to, the daughter, about how she was going to go for emancipation Emancipation. Emancipation from your parents. Yeah. Like divorcing your parents. Divorcing your parents, exactly. She yeah. was trying to legally divorce her parents. And the next the next day, both her mother and her father, who works for the Lincoln Project, which is uh, effectively Republicans against Trump. Um, oh, Republicans against Trump. So the father was also against Trump, even though the mother but, is pro-Trump. Yeah, but was a very... Um, outspoken Republican still whereas she so she's very against both her parents and has accused them of all sorts of things wow online. what a family so it's been a whole drama um, but the difficulty of all this is is that she's also only 15 oh that is young to get yourself involved in all that publicity it's really young and I think it's been difficult for the media particularly because they don't know how much to write it up or how much to talk about it when she is a minor yeah yeah, I can see that's complicated. Yeah. And it becomes an issue with lots of different, um, I'm, I'm not going to name any names, but there are lots of cabinet ministers and lots of MPs whose uh, young children, because TikTok is so popular, have been, uh, are on the site talking about things that you wouldn't necessarily want a, a minister's child to be talking about. And there's a whole line of at what point are, are they, do they have such a wide audience that it's acceptable to write about what they're saying? Or is it a child and you don't talk about it and you let them get on with it? Oh, that is interesting. I wonder if there are sort of debates going on around that amongst the media. At what point public interest trumps mm. the fact that they're a minor? Let's hope they're able to carry on being a minor. So how has, how has that resolved itself with Kellyanne and her daughter? Well, I don't know. They've, they've, she said that she's quit now. They've both quit, the mother and father, and they've said that it's in order to spend more time with their family. And uh, the daughter, uh, Claudia, has now done a live saying that she's still trying for emancipation. But this is, it's literally just happened in the last couple of days. So, so on the basis know. of that, I'm going to be very grateful to have I had know. two children during my cabinet careers who did not cause headlines. Phew. I'm definitely making up for it now, though. So. Grateful then, a little nervous now. So our main topic this week is on housing uh, and basically this major house crisis that we have uh, at the moment, which tends to have a generational divide, I think, in how mainly how it's affecting people, to be honest. Uh, the impact for young people is huge. So many people uh, of my age group are struggling, if ever, going to get on the house market and it has huge impacts on top of that there's also major issues with the amount of social social homes uh, and just the the lack of enough effectively and it's something i think the government has completely failed on and has been just an absolute astonishing disaster uh, and it hasn't really been much of a focus uh, mom what's your well, response no, no no it has been a focus and i do agree with you that it is a crisis and in my day, when I was younger, if you earned a reasonable living, a reasonable wage, you could start to put a deposit down and get a mortgage on a house. And that has now become out of reach for people on average wages. You have to have high wages. You have to have, unfortunately, the so-called bank of mum and dad. And we need to do something about it. But for the past 10 years since I was in politics, and but it obviously predates that, politicians keep on saying we're going to do something about it. But there are so many headwinds that make it quite difficult. It's not as straightforward as saying, where's the land? let's build the houses there's all sorts of issues about planning permission about cost about making sure that they're green they're properly insulated 
all these different issues bubble up to the surface and result in the fact that not enough houses are being built. And I think we should be building more. And one of the things I think we should look at today in our debate and our conversations with experts in this field is why it's not happening and what we can do to try and make it happen. Yeah, because from my point of view, I think one of the issues is that Tory, the Conservatives in general, don't value housing and social housing particularly because it's not their voters. More focused on beautifying things and making things pretty, which is something that you talk about a lot and you think is important. But I just don't see how that is I understand that. You see the scale of the crisis as such that you just need to build the houses. Don't worry about what they look like. And I think that... Uh, there are, uh, there are, we should be able... To, I mean, obviously, I'm sort of greedy. I want to say we want to do both. But I think if it is the emergency that I'm saying and a lot of people are saying it is, then you can't say, oh, we need to... Yeah, but Flora, it's, it, it's also a climate emergency. If there's a climate emergency and a housing emergency, you've got to do both. So you've got to make sure that your houses aren't carbon neutral or, I as, agree, close, but my point or is, as close as possible. But my point is we're not doing that. Look, look at what's happening. It's not being done. The government isn't building enough houses. Every promise that's been made has been broken. You can't now say, oh, but we also need to think about what they look like. Maybe we do, but it's, it's not happening. It's not happened. Okay, it's not a policy to say something must be done you've got to find a route to do it and acknowledge that there are difficulties on the way and address them the thing i find annoying is i feel like you're the kind of person that would say don't build that that building because it's going to make that park look less pretty not the park look less pretty my view is going to be ruined by that big ugly house i don't know what you're talking about but that's exactly the kind of conservative voter they don't want to annoy or irritate is the kind that's going to go oh but you're ruining the landscape and it's like the landscape is not a priority housing people is the priority well i you know i appreciate your urgency flora and i'm slightly intimidated by it but it does it is a generally held view that people don't necessarily want a great big house built in front of their view but there should be other places for it to be built that's why we have the green belt the green belt is there to preserve the green air the best green area of this wonderful country so that we can preserve for people to go and take their dogs for walk and have a walk around you don't want to build there so there's a balance there yeah i find it i find it hard to care as as someone who doesn't go walking very often my god we're (laughs) gonna somehow get back onto your morning swim have i told you about my swimming i really enjoy cold okay okay well i'm i'm uh Rather than continue to shout at you, um, we've got George Clark, the broadcaster and architect. And I have a feeling he's going to be more on my side than mum's, but let's see. And he's going to talk to us about National Trust Houses. That's an interesting choice for you. Or does he know something about social housing and things? Uh, yeah, I think he knows quite a lot. I think he's going to be uh, on my in my corner helping me win my side of the Ooh, Well, I love the National Trust. I really look forward to hearing about all those lovely country houses. This is going to be great. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? We can just see a big G. Oh, can you? Hang on. That makes it sound like such a gangster. Hang on, hang on. It's just the big G. There? Ah, there you are. Welcome. You got me now. Sorry about that. It's all right. I've been called Big G quite a few times, actually, so that's appropriate. <laughs> Could have been worse. Um, thank you so <laughs> much for joining us for this. Uh, George is George Clark, who's an architect and TV presenter, and you currently have a new programme out on Channel 4 about the National Trust. Do you want to just? Could you just tell us a moment what that's about? Yeah, it's called um, George Clark's National Trust Unlocked, because I basically made it during lockdown. Um, all my other projects got put on hold, to be honest with you, once lockdown kicked in. Even though building contractors could carry on working, everything kind of went to a much smaller scale. And then in the end, they couldn't really get building materials because all the building suppliers closed. And so everything just got put on hold. And Channel 4 called me up and said, is there anything that you could make during lockdown that we could do fairly quickly, that we can do at safe distance and, and conform with all the protocols from government? And at that time, the National Trust were in the press quite a lot. And they were saying, um, you know, obviously all the properties were being closed up, people were being furloughed. There was conversations about the National Trust potentially losing hundreds of millions of pounds this year. And I thought, you know what, this might just be, if I'm honest, a once in a lifetime opportunity to get unique access to many different houses and gardens and landscapes and coastal footpaths and walks that the National Trust look after. And make a piece of television which is 
hopefully just lovely to watch. Yes. Something where people can just be quite escapist and just switch off a little bit for an hour for all the troubles that are going on at the minute and just enjoy some really lovely television about lovely buildings and lovely history. That's a lovely plan. Uh, the, the thing is, though, the National Trust has come in for a bit of flack recently, just over the past few days, hasn't it? So it's quite topical as well. It is. Um, I mean, I don't get into that in the programme because I'm no. just an architect. So I'm not going to get involved in all the politics of all of that. I love um, politics. <laughs> I love politics too, but um, I don't think I'm going to be making political television. Fair enough, fair um, enough. But it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I think every yeah. single organisation out there, whether you're a business, whether you're a charity, whatever it might be, I mean, come on, it's been horrendous. Horrendous. Absolutely horrendous this year. I mean, even... Even my businesses, yeah, I, felt, I actually felt like I was going bust, even though my businesses are really good and got fantastic staff. You know, you're kind of thinking, right, okay, how do we change everything to, to keep going and keep all the staff and, and make it all work properly? And the National Trust are no different to that, to be honest with you. And I tell, I tell one thing it didn't make me appreciate is when you go to these landscapes and these buildings and these gardens, you realise just how much work it takes, just how many people are needed just how much money it takes to keep these things looking half decent, never yeah, mind sure looking amazing. True. And when I was um, uh, visiting all the properties, I, I asked a number of people that I visited and said, well, what, what, what is the impact of COVID-19 on your projects for this year, whatever that might be? And they just said, well, basically everything's been cancelled. That's it. You know, any conservation work, any restoration work have all been either cancelled or suspended for a period of time until we can get going again. And there's a lovely line from one, one person um, that I met, and she just said, you know, when, a, when anyone takes out a membership of the National Trust, it makes a difference. Yeah. If anyone buys a cup of tea or a scone or a slice of cake at the National Trust, all of that money is going back into these buildings and these gardens. Well, just like everybody else, they've had no money. I mean, of course, because nobody could go to their buildings and so they weren't getting any income. Um, can I ask you, George, what you think about the fact that, um, as you said, those buildings cost a fortune to maintain because so many people have to be employed to really keep them up to the standard they once yes. were. Is it right for so much money to be spent on preserving very old but beautiful homes when, as we know, there's a always, and there has been for as long as I've been in politics, it seems to go on and on, a homes crisis. Shouldn't we be spending that money on building new homes for people? Well, we should be, we should be doing that anyway. Um, but I'm not saying we should be spending the National Trust money because the National Trust has a different remit. It's about preserving our history and our buildings and our past. And I think that's why they have so many members and so many people who love to visit them. I mean, the National Trust in some ways generates a huge amount of money for the UK economy because people from all over the world come to visit these buildings because of our history. And, and that's not just the National Trust, that's English Heritage, uh, that's the Landmark Trust, whatever it might be. We have so many institutions out there where I think there's such a massive value to our old buildings and the stories behind those buildings and those landscapes. I mean, quite a few of us like to go and visit beautiful big country houses. You yeah. know, it's the kind of down, Downton Abbey effect, isn't it? We love to go and see yes. what life was like 100 years ago or 200 years ago in these buildings. And you think about the number of tourists that come from all over the world and spend a huge amount of money in this country because they want to admire that history and that beauty. What you're talking about with building new homes is a completely different subject. That's the government's responsibility. And at the minute, what I would argue is that the government are absolutely all over the place when it comes to housing. Hello, building. what happened to it's, not it's so a political? Numbers game. Yeah, yeah, you've got me going now. <laughs> I, did, I made a series last year, uh, well, it was a one-off programme um, called Council House Scandal. It wasn't yeah. just about council houses, it was about social housing generally. Um, and for me, the, you know, the government of just massive, well, every government, not just this one, every successive government over the last 30 years has failed to control the housing market and it's got out of control. Um, and I think, you know, we pay something like nine billion pounds a year to private landlords just in housing benefits, where actually if we were putting that nine billion a year, we could build over 100,000 council houses a year or social houses and increase that number. So, and at the minute, I think what the government's doing is building, it's a numbers game for them. They just want to build as many houses as possible. They're not really bothered about the quality. And I mean that because there's a lot of rubbish being built out there. Things are being built too quickly. Um, and I think it's devastating that we don't have a long-term 30-year plan. You know, by now, under the, 
the previous governments announced that we would be building zero carbon houses by 2016 and Osborne and Cameron cancelled that. They, they, that was it. We spent nine years as an industry preparing to build zero carbon houses, nine years of preparation. And then they went, right, we're pulling the plug on. That's not exactly what happened. I'm so sorry. I have to just correct our guest here. (laughs) You're right, because I remember the legislation. They're not zero carbon, but they are are very, very close. Very low carbon. The real challenge on low carbon housing is existing housing. And the what we should be doing is spending more money on making existing housing stock much more carbon neutral. If, we're, if caring about carbon and insulation and the costs is the priority, which it absolutely should be. But can I just say, I do agree with you that we should be building more social housing. And having I mean, been... We should. I mean, we've, we've, we've just been standing there on the doorstep every Thursday night for the last few months, clapping for the NHS. And not just the NHS, but key workers, you know, people everywhere. Everyone that's kind of contributed to the country to get us through this mess. And well, okay, let's build houses for them rather than people being stuck in private rented accommodation that normally they can't even afford. And I also think that, you know, the, the government is just obsessed by one thing when it comes to housing, home ownership, nothing else. And if that's the only form of tenure they're going to go down, then it's a, it's a sorry, sorry state for the housing system because for 30 years it hasn't been fixed on any level. And actually when you talk about being green, um, there's, a, there's another new scheme that's come out, another green initiative come out called the Green Homes Grant Scheme. Uh, and, you know, we've had the Green Deal and we've had all of these deals that have been put out for many, many years. And people just aren't signing up for them at the level that they would because they're apprehensive about, you know, the Green Deal was basically a debt on your house. It was taken out a loan on your house. This one is a grant scheme, in fairness. So it is grant funded. You-, you don't have to pay it back. It's just, you know, the, the thing's a mess. And it's, you're right. Okay, okay, okay. I've got to slow you down here, George. Uh, this, this feels for a moment. I'm like loving I'm... this. I'm literally just staying quiet, being like, this is great. <laughs> I don't have to, <laughs> George is doing everything for me. It's perfect. Carry on. Let's give you more my Flora, time. I usually, love it. You tell me, <laughs> usually, Flora, you tell me off for hogging. I know, but now I'm like, just in George's corner, being like, come on, in the red corner. I'm loving it. <laughs> You are right that the Green Deal had some problems, but one of the main problems the Green Deal had... Some, it didn't work, it was a disaster. I lived it, is because the people who were doing the work weren't necessarily of high enough quality. And so the government has learned from that. I can't believe I'm sitting here defending the government. That wasn't my plan for today. But the government has learned from that, and now you have to be certified. And I wouldn't be so quick to knock the fact that government come up with schemes. We want them to come up with schemes. No, I would do well, schemes that work would be yeah, great. Yeah, schemes of course that schemes work, that work. They like, all sounded great. Like, right to buy sounded so good when Thatcher introduced it, but it has created all this, this huge problem with, with the lack of care, a lot of housing that's now available. It's all been bought off, and there's not enough, and it's not being replaced by any housing that people can actually move into. We are kind of saying the same thing. You know, we, we need to build new houses, of course we do. They should be low carbon, as green as possible. Of course they should. Um, for me, I think we need to be designing... In some ways, it's a bit like having the new town movement, you know, like yeah. obviously the new town movement back in the day, you may or may not like it. I was brought up in a new town, actually. But, you know, when Gordon Brown announced the fact that we were going to have these new ecological villages and ecological towns, I thought, fantastic. Absolutely. But super, super green estates of genuinely affordable homes of mixed tenure. Um, And so that's the direction we should be going. You're absolutely right. 27 million existing houses in Britain, all of them, well, not all of them, but the vast majority of them are going to be way below the current building regulations, you know, minimum insulation standards, many won't have double glazing. We've got to do all that as well. So it's it's a holistic approach to the whole crisis. And that needs to be done from day one. But I don't, we seem to kind of ping pong around. And... You know, the future home standard uh, went out the consultation and it should have made a massive difference. And I know there was pushback on that from the big house builders. So the government aren't raising standards overall. So all I'm asking for genuinely in the housing market is to raise the overall standard. And if we raise the overall standard so that everyone's on a, a very level green playing field, it gives people a chance to make a difference. I'll be honest with you, I've spent two years, two years and spent a considerable amount of money trying to develop a new, very good, high-quality development company to build super green houses and try to make them as affordable as possible in mixed tenure. And do you know what? We just can't do it. We cannot compete because there's always people out there going to build to a lower standard and are going to outbid us for land because they're going to pay more money for the land 
and pay less money for the houses. If there's a relaxation of the planning laws, which is what the government's intending, that will be the outcome. So hopefully we'll at least inch towards your dream version. George's cackling for those. It won't happen. The reason why I'm laughing is because um, this is another brilliant one by government. If you have, if everyone is very good and everyone's working to a high standard and everyone's building beautifully, I agree with that. Relax the planning laws because we can all build to a beautiful design standard that's super green. What's happening is actually the government are relaxing all the planning laws and then the system's kind of been abused. So permitted development rights is a great case in point. But you can have a commercial building and you can convert it to residential without planning. They don't meet any minimum space standards. A lot of them that I've seen are pretty bad. Some are good, but they're done by good builders and good developers who really care and value their product. Many people are just abusing the system. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Split Opinion. Today we're discussing the housing crisis and still with us is George Clark. Do you have any faith in the current government to make the changes, to be able to address this huge crisis? Do you feel positive at all or are you just a bit like no. head in your no. hands? Flora, 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 George isn't political. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to get political about the National Trust because I just kind of like... No, 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 please, carry on. But I will definitely get political when it comes to social housing and affordable housing. Look, I'm not saying this for any benefit to me whatsoever. I'm saying it because I really care. And I've been to some, you know, when you've got to some very good, well-designed estates uh, with very high build standards, very high design standards, where people have really understood green space and what that means. And they've really understood how to build communities. It's not just about building houses, about really designing and building those communities. It's fantastic. I agree. It's absolutely brilliant. You know, it's, and it's life-changing stuff. You know, I, I, I was brought up on a council estate, whatever. I didn't know whether it was a council estate or a private estate or anything, to be honest with you. And I was, when I was seven, eight, nine years old, I didn't have a clue whether my mum had a mortgage or paid the rent when I was that age. I've got no idea. But I tell you what, it was brilliantly designed. Fantastic pedestrian squares. The houses were designed with fantastic space standards. It wasn't expensive to do at all. And it was a new town that was built pretty quickly through the late 60s. It wasn't kind of concrete carbuncle stuff. You know, really good, three, four bedroom houses, bungalows, maisonettes, everyone had a front and back garden, uh, decent car parking spaces, car parking kept away from the play areas from the kids. It's not rocket science. And I'll tell you what, if there, was a, if there was a green makeover on that new town and they decided to kind of make it super green through insulation and renewable energy for all, it would be your eco town of the future. Oh my lord, I feel like I was the interviewer on the Today programme. That was glorious. I want George for every episode to help me fight my corner. I thought we were going to have a nice little gentle conversation about the National Trust and then pow! Yeah, exactly. 
Well, I mean, I think I, I think I helped him understand a few things about government policy and housing and mm. energy. I'm hoping he helped you understand a few things about uh, the concerns. I don't feel very positive about any anything we've talked about, and I feel even less positive because now we've got your guest joining us. Yes, uh, Gavin Barwell, who was Minister of State for Housing under. David Cameron, I think. And he's passionate, I know, about housing. So it'll be really interesting to hear from him about policies then, policies now, and what we can expect in the future in terms of more house building. I'm excited to hear how you both defend these awful policies. But we're both ex-MPs. So you never know, Flora, you may find a surprising approach to government issues, past and present. discussions we've been just having which I'd love your view on is whether we should be building more social housing it's not a very I feel conservative thing but most of us who've been MPs in areas that have perhaps lower income than some of our colleagues constituencies appreciate I think more keenly how important it is to have social housing and I in my last job as Secretary of State for Working Pensions really wanted to get more social housing built and encountered some resistance. I think we should be investing much more in having, you know, obviously more housing. Every Conservative government says we have to have more housing, but a bit more in social housing. What's your view? So I completely agree with you, and there are three reasons I'd give you. The the first is I think the Conservative Party gets too hung up just on home ownership. Uh, The second reason uh, that I would give you is that actually one of the things I learned when I was housing minister is big schemes get built out more quickly when you've got a range of different types of housing involved in the scheme. So if you want more homes for homeowners to be built quickly, it actually helps the house builder to have a housing association building alongside them on the site. And the final reason is the, is the thing you'll know from your time at DWP, which is we spend a fortune subsidising private landlords and we should spend some of that money on more social housing, it would be better value for the tax. I mean, you put that so well, and I can agree with everything you've said. And yet, and yet, it's still very difficult to get more council housing, social housing built at volume and at quality that we would like to see. Why are we not getting any more of the ambitious social housing built in volume of estates? So I'm not sure if you want to go back to big single tenure estates any more than I would necessarily want to build huge estates of just home ownership housing. I think are the places we live work best when they're mixed communities yeah. and they have different kinds of housing together. But to answer your question, why aren't we getting enough of it? I think there are two things there at play. One is we need to be better as a country at getting a bigger share of the uplift in land value when we say you can build somewhere. If you at the moment, let's say that you owned a big field, which the council designated as now suitable for housing, you would get a massive windfall from that. Yes. And we need to capture a bit more of that and use that to build social housing. And also the government needs to put a bit more money into it. And it's difficult. You all know as an MP, right? We as a party and Labour before us won elections by saying it's NHS and education, which are the key priorities. That housing is actually just as important to people's lives and it doesn't get as much of a share as it should of the attention. I don't know. I think, do you not feel that the shift has now happened, that housing has become more of a priority and as people are more aware of it, especially young people who, it's, there are so many young people in this country who are just never going to be able to afford to buy a house. So many people, just the option of ever owning your own home has just been taken away effectively. There's Everyone's just going to be renting forever. So I hope you're right. And I think this is something that the current prime minister feels really strongly about. And certainly was something Theresa did. It's going to take quite a long time to turn things around. I mean, it's about 40 years that we've not been building enough homes that has got us into the situation you just described, Flora. And as housing minister, I was very conscious of my own children that unless they're lucky enough to inherit some money from their grandparents, they've got no chance of ever having their own home in the area where they've grown up. And, and I mean, I think politicians of all parties should care about it. But if you're a, if you're a centre-right politician, you can't expect people to vote for capitalism if they've got no chance of ever earning any capital. So, so maybe the whole issue of the prime minister wanting levelling up and the, the, the red wall seats, etc., they maybe part of their demand will be to have more affordable social housing. So 
uh, as you say, maybe it's been turned on its head and it's now for the Conservatives to deliver on the life-changing chances to those northern seats and we'll see some social housing. Yeah, I think there's a really interesting debate going on in the Conservative Party about this at the moment because I think at a government level there has been a bit of a shift back to a focus on home ownership because you'll know they're trying to develop a narrative of fairness and they will pick up Flora's point and say it's not fair that younger people today haven't got the same chance to own their own home. But I think there are some really interesting people in the new intake that are making exactly the argument you made. Danny Kruger is, is one. And he's not saying no to the home ownership stuff, but he's saying that as well as that, we've got to have a good answer uh, for people that, that, you know, that's not the immediate solution to. And, all, and he, he's very interested, I think, talking about stable communities. One of the things social housing gives you is because people have secure tenures, they can't just be moved out of their house in a few months' time like people can in the rented sector. You tend to get more stable communities, and that's important. So on that, what do you think about the fact that, you know, recently we've seen that because of coronavirus, the eviction ban has been extended by four weeks, um, but that just seems still ridiculously small amount of time for me to be kicking people out of their homes. I know that Keir Starmer said that, you know, all it gave was renters a few more weeks to pack their bags. And that is, is definitely closer to how I feel. What what's, what do you think about all that? Yes, I think they'll end up extending it again, if I'm honest. If you think back, Flora, to when the pandemic started, I think the government had three absolutely key policies, which were the furlough scheme, the eviction ban and the mortgage holiday. And the reason they were so important is if you're going to say to people, you've got to stay at home, they have to have confidence that they can feed their families and keep a roof over their head. And if they don't believe those things, they're going to go out and try and earn some money. So those policies were key. And I kind of think that the eviction ban is going to have to stay until we're through the pandemic. Um, But more generally, when Theresa was PM, she wanted to change the law so that private landlords couldn't just have a sort of no fault eviction after six months. I think if if you want people to rent out property, they've got ultimately to be able to get their property back. And certainly if the tenant is damaging it or something like that, they've got to be able to get it back. Now, when Amber and I were younger, the private rent sector was was mainly just the single adults. And you've now got lots of families living there. You've got to give them some more stability. So I hope that this government will take forward what she was planning to do. Yeah, so changing it so that that you can't evict people uh, for no reason if they've been paying rent, basically. You can't get no-fault evictions and you give people a longer tenancy that gives them a bit more security. So that they have to have some reasonable notice rather than just be moved on what it feels like is at will. But why yeah, so like One of the things we were looking at is could you try and get people like a sort of three-year tenancy and could you end... There's a, there's a particular law which gives these sort of no-fault evictions that can just happen automatically at the end of six months. That's what we were trying change uh, i must because say one I... of the tough things about housing right is yeah, that things on. don't change overnight we are going to have large numbers of people living in the private sector for quite a while while we're trying to solve this problem and build more social housing and get more people on the ownership ladder so we've got to improve conditions for people that are living there i mean occasionally there are issues for politicians to grapple with that don't fit into the five-year cycle or 10-year cycle and housing is one of them i presume there have been all sorts of efforts to try and get a cross-party agreement on housing so that you can have a proper strategy over 20 or 30 years? Yeah, I think it would be a really good issue to try and build a long-term consensus about. And I think there's a better hope of doing that now uh, with Starmer than there was with Corbyn. I mean, if you like the argument for Labour, I think I would turn on the other side of its head. So if you if you take what Flora was saying earlier, and we're trying to get young people the chance to get on the on the property ladder like we had when we were younger labor's policy if you like is all about building social housing and my worry with that is you're going to create a society if you don't build more homes for people to buy you're going to create a society where wealthy people inherit homes from their parents and everybody else is locked out but there are like a million people waiting for social housing that it's just there's just astounding numbers the fact that there's just no there's no option for them there's no homes for them that i understand the priority of we want people to be able to own homes and you know i'm a young person i want people to be able to 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 not be cut out of the of housing but at the same time i agree that a priority has to be on the social housing when people don't have homes yeah, so I, I, one, of the, one of the problems with politics, in my opinion, and I sort of look on it all with a bit of despair now, 
is that too many of these debates get polarized into an either or choice and it's not an either or choice you can build more homes of both and actually doing them together gets both of them built more quickly so that that's the problem we had in housing debate it had turned into a debate of do we want to build more homes for people to own or do we want to build more social housing and the message i tried to have was actually i want to build more homes of every single kind in this country because we've got a housing crisis and we need Need more homes of all kinds. Uh, mum, since leaving government, I think mum tends to teeter between still defending the government and throwing a Molotov cocktail over her shoulder. So I, I, I don't know where you're going to sit. But do you have faith in the current government to make changes and to have an impact on addressing the housing crisis? Or uh, do you not think they, there's going to be much change? Yes, what do you think, Lord Barwell? <laughs> uh, in housing, I'm pretty positive. You know, I, I, I would have different views on different bits of what the government is doing. But on housing, I'm pretty positive. I, I, your mum and I both know the Prime Minister pretty well, and I worked with him closely when he was Mayor of London, and he is very passionate about trying to get more homes built. Um, so on, on this area, it's one of the areas where I would be more optimistic. And on that note... God, we've ended on such a propaganda point. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> on that note, I'm going to bank that as a positive end to a really fascinating discussion, Gavin. Thank you so much. It's been really kind of you. Well, Flora, I think you might have learned a bit about housing from that conversation with Gavin. <laughs> I didn't I didn't learn anything. I feel like that was I thought it was a very different tone that I feel like I was getting a lecture slightly from two Tories and I, I wanted uh, I wanted George back in my corner, basically. <laughs> well, Gavin is very good at his subject and he just laid it out for us. And actually, he and I are in a very similar space, which is wanting more social housing, but wanting to believe and encourage this government to deliver on that. What I'm starting to realise is the biggest issue with the housing crisis is politicians. Uh, well, you could turn that on its head and say politicians are doing what the voters think they want. And up to now, the big issues have been NHS and education. If you believe that housing should be up there as a priority, then people need to say so. Then they need to vote with it. I feel like we are. I no, feel no, like we, no. but anyway, let's uh, move on to another issue where the government is doing terrible things to everyone and talk to Polly Neat from Shelter. But that's also about housing. It's also about housing, but I would say the government is probably not going to come out as the shining star in her story. Okay, you're really looking forward to dissing the government. I thought we were going to be neutral on this, Flora. I never agree to that. Mum is much more kind of optimistic, I would say, of the government than I am in general. I mean... Just looking at the numbers and stuff, right now there are 1.2 million people on the waiting list for social housing and yet just 5,000 new social homes were built last year. Do you have any faith in the government that they'll be able to do what is needed? Um, So, first of all, yes, I do have faith that the government will be able to do what is needed, as in, can they do it? Yes. Will they? Uh, I'm not sure. I really hope so. Um, and I, you are right to focus on social housing because the government has uh, focused on homelessness with quite a lot of success uh, when it comes to rough sleeping, a considerable amount of success when it comes to rough sleeping. And they've made a lot of investment in that. And that's great. But... Ultimately, you can't solve homelessness without homes. Perplexing, isn't it, that governments over such a long period, I mean, it's not just Conservative governments, have failed to build social housing. Yeah, so uh, you're absolutely right. It isn't just uh, the Conservative government. Um, So um, we, uh, I mean, there has been an issue uh, since 2010 about, um, I guess, the definition of affordable housing, which is basically unincluded social housing, which is a problem. And that is a problem of the Conservative administrations. But the problem of not building social housing has, is, goes back decades. And actually, the, uh, the, the absolute kind of um, 
gold standard social house building administration was the Macmillan government, which, as we all know, obviously, was a conservative government. So this is not a party issue. And I'm really keen to, to be really clear about that, actually, because... Um, you know, we need to see a new approach to social housing, uh, and that can just as easily be a conservative policy, in yeah. my view, as it can be a, a policy of a Labour government. Anyway, we don't have a Labour government. So, <laughs> you know, let's yeah. be clear, like they're not in power, so yeah. they can't build social housing. No. So let's, let's work with the government we've got. Government do it. Yeah. So you yeah. feel it's, it's like an issue that politicians and maybe people in general in politics used to kind of club each other over the head with rather than necessarily focusing on it cross-party? I think that's right. And I think um, we, you know, we need to just recognise the truth. So private renting uh, is not working for the people who are now living in it. It's not um, in the main young people who are um, doing it in a temporary way so that before they get on the housing ladder, a lot of it is families. Nearly three quarters, 73% of private renting families have no savings. So these are not people who are going to benefit from the government's uh, housing, home ownership products. These are people who need... uh, rented homes that are accessible to people on low incomes that's what i mean by social housing yeah me too um yeah i know that the government's biggest concern as we go into the autumn is going to be the jobs crisis first is that as the furloughing ends how many people are going to become unemployed but i suppose that will have a huge knock-on effect into housing really into people's security in their homes yeah absolutely it will and so we you know uh we estimate Um, from surveys that we've done, quite um, large-scale surveys that we've done, that there's about 1.7 million renters who anticipate they're going to lose their jobs in the next two to three months. These are people, three-quarters of whom, already had no savings at all. So they were right up to the limit on paying their rent and meeting their other needs. We know uh, a lot of families who are going without other essentials in order to pay their rent already so you're absolutely right um there will be a real knock-on effect on the housing crisis and you know i guess that's what i mean when i say that the housing crisis has kind of collided with the public health crisis and yes you're right the jobs uh crisis that is now upon us and um you know the result of that the fallout of that is hitting people on low incomes very hard indeed, and it is going to impact on homelessness. Yeah. Unless we have more homes. I find, you know, obviously you two both know a lot more more than this on me, but one of the things I just, asking the very stupid basic question, the answer is obviously to build more housing. Why, why hasn't, why, why doesn't the government do that? I just, I mean, mum, you were in the government, like why, what, is it just a money issue? Why aren't there more housing if housing is what's needed? (laughs) Um, so I can't put my I don't I don't speak for the government obviously far from it but um, I think there are lots of reasons why successive governments haven't done it I think people uh, there are some negative associations that people have with social housing definitely so I think people feel like when you say we need more social housing they think what you mean is more enormous tower blocks that look horrible, that are going to go up in their backyard and it's all going to be a nightmare. And then the people who live in social housing, I think quite stigmatised. We've had a lot of, you know, I think teleprograms like Benefit Street and all of that has done quite a lot of damage, um, actually, to the image of not only of social housing, but of the people who live in it. And that's why I talk about a kind of renaissance of social housing, Mm -hmm. that the government needs to lead to show that it can be different. And, 
you know, I mean, it totally can. I mean, I don't care if it's called Boris Building, <laughs> if it's social housing, and it's affordable for people on low income. Have you realised that I have a point about how complicated housing policy is and how we have to build carefully in order to make sure that we build the right places for people? Uh, I think I think it's true that I hadn't considered or thought about maybe ha- just how much politics you have to think through and go through in order to actually get the number of houses built and the social and the social housing particularly and talking to Polly it was really interesting because I assumed that she kind of would be on my side of immediately lambasting the government for you know not doing their job whereas she was pretty fair and leveled and kind of saw the good things that conservatives had done and was talking about ways to get social housing built for example i love the idea of boris branding like like the boris bikes i don't think would have happened if they just said we're going to call them bikes um but are you saying the prime minister might respond better if you appeal to his ego i i am definitely saying that what a thought <laughs> so i think i'm going to put this down as a win flora finally i, I call flora this a sees draw. my point I think, I think a draw we'll call it okay i'll settle for a draw for now but secretly i'm calling it a win You've been listening to Split Opinion with Flora Gill and Amber Rudd. It's a Wireless Studios production for Times Radio, produced by Ben Mitchell. Tune in to Times Radio every Sunday at 7pm to hear us live. And you can download the podcast to listen on demand. We're available at Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and from the shiny new Times Radio app. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.